Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Uh, we are finishing out a series called Game Changers. And today I want to look at an area of our life that if we get it right, it's one of those uh, things that can deal with some of the, the problems and the issues that we face as we look at uh, really living out God's purpose, but we do it by way of uh, tackling some of the stressors that we have in our life. Any of you have uh, a little bit of stress in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, every service, there's a lot of hands going up, and, and we feel that no matter what's going on. Uh, I, I've shared how flying sometimes can be a stressor for me. Uh, in fact, I'm going tonight, I'm flying to Tampa, Florida, going to spend a couple days uh, visiting my daughter, who's going to, is graduating from college in a few months there, and uh, it can stress me out. Uh, sometimes if you get the middle seat, that stresses me out, uh, especially if you have people who are armrest hogs. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and then also, just going there, the, you know, planes going down, uh, you pick up the plane, and where do, you, where do you board the plane? In a place called the terminal. That is not a good idea to name it that, is it? Uh, and then they always say, this is your last call, your very last call. That does not relieve any stress. You get on the plane, what's the first thing they tell you? What to do just in case it crashes. That does not relieve any stress. And I love how they say it. Don't worry, hey, uh, in case of a water landing, is that really what you call it? Uh, don't worry, your seat will turn into what? A flotation device. And I'm thinking, you know, a jet ski might be more useful if this baby's going down. And so we have the stresses of uh, no matter what we're doing in life. Have you ever watched House Hunters International? Uh, a great show. Uh, I watch it this time of the year. Reminds me there are places that are warm and sunny in the world. And so uh, as I watch that, you see couples, and they'll usually be, well, you know, uh, we were tired of the hustle and bustle in New York or Chicago or L.A., and so we decided to move to this tropical place. Sounds like a good idea, right? But it's not just people from New York, L.A., or Chicago. I've literally watched episodes where people were like, yeah, it's just too hectic here in Arkansas. And I'm like, you live in Arkansas. It is not hectic. I've even seen episodes where there are couples from Portland, Oregon. People in Portland are the most relaxed people I know, you know. And it, but there's always the stress. There's the stress of, hey, uh, will we have enough money? Will we have jobs? Will there be good schools for the kids? Can we decide on the, the place that we want to live? And the reality is that we bring our stress with us to whatever the situation is in our life. And so what I want to do is, is I want to look at the game changer of living out God's purpose for your life and for mine. And at, along the way, God deals with some of those stressors in our life. 
Well, stress, where does it come from? Our first fill-in is, number one, supersized problems. And when I say supersized problems, I'm not talking necessarily about the big problems that you face. I'm talking uh, about problems that become bigger than they really are. There will be significant challenges you're going to face in life that I'm going to face in life, but uh, we're often caught by surprise. Uh, we think of, even Christians, we think of the Bible as just a handbook uh, for making life better, which, by the way, it does. I, in fact, there was a couple at our Saturday night service. Saturday night was uh, crazy last night, totally packed out, not even enough room for people. And uh, one of the couples uh, said, hey, is it okay if we continue to come to this church? And I'm like, okay. Uh, that's sort of an odd, and, and, and they're from a another culture and another religion. They said, we never miss, we're not Christians yet, but we just feel like this stuff applies so much to our lives. And I'm like, of course you can come. And the reason it applies so much is because God is a designer of all life. And, and in fact, life will not make sense unless we live according to His plan and purpose. But we can go to the other extreme where the gospel uh, just becomes therapeutic. And see, God's plan is that He works in your life, but that His primary purpose is for redemption. See, there in previous generations, there was uh, the idea that life could be difficult. In fact, if you look at the nursery rhymes from the 1800s, people would teach their kids that. Uh, you remember uh, the uh, old nursery rhymes? I remember the first one I learned. Uh, maybe help me out with this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men. Yep, Humpty was dead. That's what happened to Humpty. Uh, you know, and literally, that's what we taught our kids. Our, our, no, and then it goes even like Stephen King esque. Rockabye baby, where? On the treetop. Now, that was a good idea. Uh, when the wind blows, the cradle will. When the bow breaks, the cradle will. Down will come baby, cradle and all. Night, sweetie. See you in the morning. <laughs> you ever wonder what happened to your little brother? Well, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over a can't, yeah, we're teaching him to be a firewalker. I mean, it's just crazy and all the uh, adversity. In fact, my favorite one is with uh, chores. Uh, Jack and Jill went up a hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, which means his head, and Jill came tumbling after. Yeah, again, two, another brother and sister you had, they went and had chores and didn't quite make it. And so, <laughs> but, but the funny thing is I'm having a little bit of fun but there was the idea is there will be stress, there will be adversity. And, and I say that, I want to say this as pastorally as I can. You may break under it, but it'll be your choice if you do. Because God has a plan for you. And you say, I can't see it. That's why He's God. And so if you will trust in Him, you're going you're gonna to make progress you thought you never could make. I've seen it time and time again. In fact, I've seen it this weekend with all the people come uh, to Timberlake and just the stories of God's power and grace. Well, we also can be undone by significant transitions. 
Now, I shared, I actually shared on Christmas Eve that this has been a year of transition uh, for my wife and I. We've had some challenges uh, along the way. Both of us uh, health problems. One of the reasons I moved up here about 10 years ago besides to pastor this church was to be near my mom and care for her, and she passed away. And that was uh, hard. And so all, all, all these uh, difficulties, all these challenges uh, along the way. Uh, we became empty nesters this last year, and that was awesome. And so we've had, uh, <laughs> it's not all bad news, you know. Uh, and so, uh, we, we, but there's these significant transitions. And the problem is, is we can focus so much on that instead of, now what was I heading towards in the first place? See, it'll lead to small perspective. Uh, the tendency is to become myopic under stress. All we can see is that thing in front of us. And see, the Bible tells the, the history of God's faithfulness. In fact, if you deal with anxiety and stress, by the way, that is not uh, a judgment. Uh, in fact, you, you might need counseling. I'm pro-counseling. You might need uh, medication. You've heard me say this a million times. God made us family. Prozac made us friends. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, it's okay to need those things. But we need something even greater than that, in addition to that. About three weeks ago, I was, I think it was, I don't know, Sunday morning, one of the services or Saturday night service, and there was a man uh, who, who normally goes to another one of our campuses and he said, it's been about a year, and so I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I'd never seen him. Obviously, he watches on the video screen. He said, a friend of mine had told me about Timberlake. I never went. And uh, he said, I was at this point, and I was just, he said, he made bad decisions, and things had happened to him, and he was just crushed under the weight of it. And he said, I was sitting in a parking lot, and I had made the decision finally. It's over. I'm going to take my life. I can't handle it anymore. And he said, I was in there in that parking lot, and I saw one of those little uh, A-board signs that we put up illegally. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, uh, but you'll, you'll get, it's okay after you hear the story. Uh, the, and he said, so I walked into the theater where our Issaquah campus is, and he said, and God just opened up my world. He opened up my heart, and he said, I, he says, I don't know if God told you to speak that message that day, but, but I had something I hadn't had for a long time, and that was real hope. And he described how he started living that out over this last year. And he went from that place of despair to a place of purpose. And you might say, hey, I'm not in a place of despair. That's great. I hope you're not. But we can all live with greater purpose. But some of you feel like that. You're not quite there, but I want you to hear that God is not surprised you're here today. In fact, maybe you're here for this very purpose today, that God would speak into your heart and your life. Well, as I was thinking from a scriptural perspective, how do we frame this and get God's wisdom? Uh, I was thinking of the biggest book in the Bible, uh, right in the middle of the Bible. It's called the book of Psalms. It's a song book, 150 psalms, uh, 70 directly attributed to King David. Some, some are unattributed, but we think that he wrote them as well. 
And it's uh, different than other parts of the Bible. The Bible is all inspired by God. It's God's word to us. But part of it is, is just historical accounts. There's the four Gospels about Jesus' life. There's wisdom literature. There's prophecy telling about the future. The Psalms are more of a devotional theology. It's more of a reflection of how God has been present in the person's life, mostly King David. And so what I want to do to frame what we're going to talk about uh, in our remaining time is look at the most famous psalm there is. In fact, tens if not hundreds of millions of people who've never been to church are not Christians know this. It's so famous because I think it speaks to every human heart. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I normally I don't do this a lot is I, I want to encourage you to read this out loud with me. And so if you'll do that, don't leave me hanging like you normally do. So, the, uh, uh, so <laughs> come on, I'm putting myself out there. Uh, maybe if you don't read it, I'll speak next week on disappointment. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, let's read this out loud together. Ready, set, read. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know why so many millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people look to that? Because even though you may not know God in a personal way, you may have never accepted Christ yet. Every single one of us wants that. So, but... but Hear the story. David had, uh, he had significant difficulties. He had basically sexual addiction that probably never got fully resolved in his lifetime. It, it, a constant struggle. He had hurt people, killed people. He had a son betray him. He had a wife that was uh, dismissive and, and, and abandon him. He had real enemy. I mean, you, you, you read that in the darkest valley because he had dark valleys in his life. Here's the thing that he did, though. He never stayed there. He said, I'm walking through this. This is not going to be the permanent place for me. And so as we, as we move on, we, the way we move towards God's plan and purpose is not by solving every problem. It's not by playing whack-a-mole, which again, Chuck E. Cheese, one of my least favorite places on earth, if you've ever played whack-a-mole. And it's just, yeah, because you do. You play the game and you whack-a-mole and guess what? Another one comes up and then another one comes up. And you know how the game ends? It never ends. It's just like, for, if you were raised Catholic, purgatory. That's what that is. And so, uh, and it just, it just, it's not quite hell, but it feels like it. <laughs> so, but that's how we, if I could just deal with this stressor and that stressor, I'd be happy. No, you won't. That's all I got for you. Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> solving problems does not create joy in and of itself. There are real problems. 
But it's saying, God, in the midst of those, I follow you. So what does the Bible say about that? First thing we need to do, number one, is you need to clarify your musts. What are the must-have in your life? Sometimes everything will feel like I, this, has, this is so important. In fact, honestly, the younger you are, the more it feels that way. You re, uh, remember in, in high school or junior high, and you're like, oh, I must date her or I must date him. And you felt like when it didn't happen that your world fell apart. And then 20 years later, you see him or her on Facebook and you say, God, you're merciful, you know. <laughs> but at the time, we just couldn't see clearly. So David said this. He said, one thing I seek from the Lord, the only thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And it's not because he, he wasn't that super spiritual, by the way. He really wasn't. He just knew there was no place better to go than into God's presence to clarify what life is really about and to find the peace that he sought. A second aspect of this, and we find this in the Psalms, is to do the anxiety math. What I mean by this is... Uh, what will happen if you're going through a stressful situation, if there's some adversity in your life, uh, you'll have what psychologists will uh, uh, call emotional flooding. So the idea is we, we have one bad thing happening, and so everything feels bad in our life. And, and we're, it's sort of like the old kid's song. I, I, these songs, they just stick in your head even though you don't like them. Uh, you, you remember this, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. Like, is that a stupid song? Yeah, no wonder no one likes you. You're a worm eater, kid. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> but but the, the funny thing is in that, if you think about that, nobody likes me. Everything's going bad, so I'm going to go ahead and do something self-destructive. You know what that sounds like? A lot of people I know. You know, that sounds like me sometimes. And so we take a bad situation and we make it worse. Instead of holding on to the promise of God, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. See, see here's uh, the dirty little secret uh, about adversity. As you look at adversity, is it will make you think that every, everyone is against you. That they're sort of the lies, and I believe they come from the enemy of our souls. Uh, and they'll also, adversity will try to isolate you. The one thing, here's the one thing, when you're feeling stressed out, the one thing you shouldn't do is uh, isolate yourself and then make big decisions. But you know what people usually do? Isolate themselves and make big decisions. Like normally I get advice from other people, but you know, I'm just going to quit my job, quit this marriage, I'm going to, you know, now's the time to start doing this or that. Uh, See, it'll also try to paralyze you. I mean, how many of you have gone through a bad day when you say, I know what I need, Netflix and ice cream. <laughs> and so, so we just stop. And when, as long as we're progressing, as long as we're moving towards God, even when it's difficult. See, King David, what does he write about in the 23rd Psalm? That he's that he's on his way someplace, and he know that, knows that God has a good plan for him. 
And you might say, Ben, you don't know about my circumstance. And maybe, you know, career's going great, money's going great. But there's some things going on that maybe no one else knows. And you've isolated yourself and you feel stuck. But you don't need to be stuck. See, the, the fourth part of this and is, is, is never as bad as it seems. That oftentimes we let things become bigger than they are. So as we, as we move forward, uh, a third aspect of us getting a hold of God's purpose and is relational, is that we attack problems, not people. See, oftentimes here's what will uh, happen, is we identify too much people and problems. In fact, if, if you say, hey, Ben, I'm a pretty mature Christian, uh, you know, will you teach me the Greek and the Hebrew? I studied all that stuff. But here's how I can tell if you're actually mature in your faith. Do you attack problems or people? If you can't differentiate, God has a lot of work to do. See, maturity is what, is what Jesus did for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, you know, it's not that God didn't zap us. He didn't hate us. It says that Christ died for us, that, that God gave his life. He took care of our sin problem because he knows you are not, you and your sin problem are not the same thing, that we all struggle. And see, that's what maturity is. The psalmist says, but as for me, I trust in you. I talk to people who are struggling in their marriages, and uh, they'll attack, well, maybe I've said this before, you know, usually in a marriage, you have a saver and a spender, right? And so what happens, and I've talked to families even with good incomes, like there's no money and you have all this debt, and you shouldn't, because the spending is out of control. And it's easy to say, yeah, we have a problem, he's the problem, he spends too much money. And the, the thing is, what we'll try to do is attack the person. And you may have the right to do it, but let me tell you something. That never works. You're saying, how do you know? Just thousands of observations. There's no circumstance I have seen or am aware of where attacking the person has ever actually resolved it. I only know is when we attack the problem. And then I teach this to our staff, too. Uh, because, you know, there'll be, uh, maybe there's a problem between a couple staff people or a problem in a marriage, whatever it is. In a marriage, you have a spending problem, and I'll say, hey, uh, you say, you, I love you, but this is a problem. You, got, you have to know I love you, but I don't love what's happening to us financially. And so let's, you and I, because we're on the same team, let's attack that problem, not each other. Why do you think uh, hundreds of people have gone through our Financial Peace University here? I mean, family, the stories are cool. Uh, and it's not, you know, you think about that. It's not, you know, some thing about giving or something. That's important, but it's just about being financially healthy. And hundreds of families are healthier now because their finances are healthier. Same thing with our re-engaged marriage ministry. Couples are healthier because they're working on knowing God's will and, and attacking problems, not each other. It leads to this, number four, invest deeply in relationships. That, that as we invest deeply in relationships, we will see God work in a powerful way. And see, oftentimes we don't want to. We isolate at the point we shouldn't. King David 
uh, in Psalm 122.1. It's called a song of ascents because it's when they used to go worship up to Jerusalem. You can't go down Jerusalem. It's a city on a hill. He said, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's something about following God that's a corporate exercise. Uh, and in fact, uh, I get this, especially in our day and age, people will say, well, my spirituality is individual uh, and, and private. And you can, hey, this is America, you can do whatever you want to. Now, the Bible doesn't recognize any of that as being possible. Uh, there's something that happens. Our faith is personal, but not private, where we say, hey, you know, I need other people in my life. And my encouragement for you, if you really want to get a hold of God's plan and purpose and you want to deal with some of the stressors, make sure you're around some people who love God and love you. When, it, when there's group sign-ups, you see those? And we only do them for like eight weeks, so it's not a lifetime commitment. But you say, I'm going to allow some people in my life because I believe God wants to speak to me. And that leads to number five, seek daily spiritual renewal. This is where we say, God, hey, I'm open for business. I'm not open just yesterday, but I'm open today. God, I, I want what you want for me. Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. I had the opportunity to speak at a conference this last week uh, down in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and uh, people have asked me, so why did you say yes to speaking at that conference? It's January here, it's sunny in Phoenix. So uh, I didn't, whatever the content, I knew it was from the Lord. I really did. Uh, so I, as I was there, it's with a group of leaders. We're associated with a group of churches, the largest churches in the nation that uh, are part of this group. Uh, and, and so, uh, of which we're, we, we are the largest. And so I had the opportunity to work with some leaders. One guy is a guy I, I told you about before. Great guy, tall, skinny guy. Uh, I mean, just... Uh, full of energy, and uh, as I told the story a couple years ago, uh, I asked him, hey, what did you do before you planted this church? It's grown to hundreds, about a thousand people, uh, and so uh, it grew really fast, because usually people are a youth pastor or something like that. I said, what do you do before you pastored the church? And he goes, well, I was in prison. Not a normal answer, just to let you know. Uh, and then, of course, I did the one thing you should never do. Do not do like your pastor does. I asked the question, what for? He said, murder. I stepped back. Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, so, uh, true. And then, of course, you know, I cannot stop myself. And I'm like, okay, so tell me a little bit about this whole killing someone. So, uh, and so he, he, he went, he was 16 years old. He wasn't the trigger man, but he was part of the murder. Uh, He's from L.A. in a gang there in the roughest part of L.A. Uh, and he got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Fitting. He said about a year into prison, one of the toughest prisons in California, he accepted Christ and started following Jesus. And he, he said his expectation is, is that he would serve Jesus the rest of his life, but that would happen at the penitentiary. So he did that in year after year, and finally what happened is he helped people who could get out change, and the word of what his ministry was percolated up to the governor of California at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, Governor Schwarzenegger pardoned him after 16 years in prison. We got out and got a job and 
started telling people about what God was doing in his life, and it became a church, and then it became a large church. In fact, he was sharing with me, I tell you that to tell you this. This uh, last week, he said, we opened up our, our fourth campus in Carson, California, and uh, I think it's his fourth campus, and as we did, uh, got a call from someone about that, and it was a lady, she called, and he said, I, I had the calls transferred to my cell phone, because he, he, he doesn't even have really any administrative staff, he has all his people, and the lady said, hey, is this the day the church is opening? He goes, yep, he, and she goes, are you the pastor? He goes, yep, and she goes, you killed my brother, and I'm going to be there, and so he was, you know, a little bit freaked out, as could be understood, and so he was there, he preached through the service, she wanted to meet afterwards, uh, which he was happy because he said, at least it meant I would survive the service. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, I mean, this is, uh, this is a guy that's done great ministry. And so they, they meet, and she describes the hurt and the pain that his actions caused. But she said, you know, while you were in prison and all of that, uh, I became a Christian too. And I want you to know that in the name of Jesus, I forgive you for the hurt that you've caused me. And then she says something even more incredible. She goes, and I really liked the service. I don't really have a church right now. Would you mind if I come to your church? And she, there's a picture of him and his wife, and she's in the middle. And uh, there, he did a, a message on the Lord's Prayer. And he was preaching the part where it says, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. And he invited her. She came up at all the services that weekend, and they preached that message together about the power of God in impossible situations to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring redemption. You know why my friend has a powerful ministry? Because, you know, when they're dealing with the worst stuff in life, they're like, well, <laughs> not as bad as a pastor. Never killed anyone yet. And they feel hope. And that hope is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to remember the hope that Jesus brought as we celebrate communion together. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for each and every person in this place. God, and, and I know that you prepared us even for this moment. That we would be open to you, God, for some of us as we already were a few weeks into the new year and the stresses and the strains. They're becoming bigger, God, and you're becoming smaller, and, and we want that to change. And so we remember what you've done for us as you went to the cross. God, I pray for my friends who are here today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Ben, uh, you know, you might be a church person, you might believe in God, but you might not know Him in that personal sense the way I talked about. See, it's that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that's transformational. And God will never force His way in. It's, he offers His everything. And He just says, will, will you receive Will you receive that? And if you're in a place where you want to receive that today, I encourage you to pray something like this. You d Don't pray out loud. I'm going to pray out loud. We're not going to have you come forward or anything. 
But you say something like this to God. God, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you that on my worst day you gave your best. That you went to the cross to pay the price for my sin. That the things that I can never undo that you've made right. And I invite you to be the leader and Lord of my life. God, I'm not sure everything that'll mean, but I decide to follow you today. And the Bible says this, that we can be assured of God's determination to be with us and for us. The Bible says that Jesus said this word to his disciples, I will never leave you, I'll never give up on you. And so, God, we celebrate that as we celebrate communion together. For my friends who've known you for 30 years and for my friends who maybe 30 seconds ago decided to say yes to you, we remember and we respond in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.